Welcome back to Revelation On Demand Podcast, podcast dedicated to bringing you Revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and I'm joined today, as usual, by Mr. Chris Hess. How you doing, buddy? You know what? All things considered, I'm going to tell you a similar answer every day, but that's because I have a good attitude, is I'm still doing pretty great. I, I'm really appreciative of the life I have right now. Uh, good or bad moments, it's floating, and, you know, I'm going. So I'm really always thankful for God for that. Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right myself. You know, uh, it's been a rough week. I didn't get everything done that I needed to get done, but I got. We're here now. We're we're ready to roll. So uh, last time we started into the book of Amos, which was one of the earlier prophets, which. Uh, one of the lesser known prophets. So this, this guy tends to get uh, kind of glazed over usually when, when people are reading the Bible and I can understand why it's not particularly uh, one of the easiest books to read, especially when it's talking about all this damnation on ancient people who we don't really have that much of a tie to anymore. You know, that can be, that can be really hard to, to uh conceptualize and like get a realistic idea of yeah 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 i don't know the word the word yeah to relate to it that sort of thing that's what i wanted to say yes sir. so uh we're going to continue on this he's one he's one of the prophets and he he uh there's a little bit of prophecy in here i guess where he's talking about uh israel being destroyed and of course there was uh well, not destroyed, but taken over, and then Assyria came in. We'll go into that more in detail when we get to the end of the chapter. These are pretty short chapters, so if the episodes are a little lighter than normal, that would be because of that. Uh, we we do our best to study as much as we can for each of these chapters that we're doing, and uh, we try to make sure that we bring you guys as much detailed information as we can. Uh, again... If you have any suggestions or questions or comments, feel free to contact us. Shall we? Uh, shall we continue into this? We're in the Amos two, where he's going to start talking about judgment being pronounced on the neighbors of Israel. Yes, and uh, just one thing, real quick, before we start going into that, and then I start reading the scripture for us. Um, this has got a, re- a lot of as as hard as it could be to be relative to modern day people. This is still a very mm-hmm. prominent subject in the Middle East in the specific nations that are existent to this day, if not regions. So, like we went over that a little bit last episode, where you know this does have to do a little bit with uh, some of those conflicts you see in modern day with. Uh, Israel and the surrounding countries. We're not going to name anyone specifically, but yeah. So try to apply some of that. If it starts to become a little bit complicated when you start hearing about ancient kingdoms and try to apply that to maybe like some of their philosophy and tactics that they do apply today, uh, Jewish, Christian, or otherwise, um, you're going to see a lot of more relative sources of inspiration for how these 
places were formed and how are they are led. And as Christians today, how we can apply a similar uh, adaptation or even gain inspiration from someone that did see the greater light and everything in a time of sheer darkness, especially in ancient days. So I'm going to get started on Amos 2. Did you have anything to say before I get started? Nope, that's good. We'll just dive into the text, and then we'll we'll start to dissect it as we go through it. All right. So, starting with verse 1. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not relent. Because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire on Moab that will consume the fortresses of Kerioth. Moab will go down in great tumult. Amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet, I will destroy her ruler and kill all her officials with him, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees, because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. All right, so we see here that he brings... Judgment on two of Israel's neighbors. Uh, Judah would be kind of this this partnering neighbor, uh, definitely part of Israel for most of its history, but often uh, they try to also be their own entity. Uh, but first we start with Moab, which was one of the neighbors. And uh, if you're not familiar with Jewish culture and the practices at this time, uh, the, the bones of the dead would be put in these bone boxes called ossuaries. And so this would be the, the correct way to honor your dead. You, you know, you wrap them, you speed up the decaying process, and then you uh, place their bones in ossuaries to be put in their 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 house uh, tombs or these, these sort of uh, the tunnels and caves where all these dead were placed in these small bone boxes for, for, uh, you know, their ancestors for their predecessors to come by and, and honor them later. So, uh, Moab, uh, really, they, they destroyed a lot of these, these family tombs when they came through and, uh, they just desecrated the dead. So, of course, uh, Amos is saying here that they're going to be boned to ash or burned to ashes. And, uh, uh, one of the common practices for, whitewashing walls was to use a, a kind of lime powder that was made from burning shells and, uh, and animal bones down to ash. So it was talking about burning the bones of, of the people of Moab down to ash so that they could be, you know, desecrated in much the same way that they desecrated the dead of the, the Israel people that they, uh, they uh, came in and, and, you know they 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 did these these terrible things to the honored dead is is what they're being uh, uh, judged for here. Might I now, say Kiriath, that is which, good, awful good. crafty. That's like the most crafty way you could yeah. you could desecrate someone is hey we're gonna use you as paint. 
sort of. Yeah. No, literally, that's that's like 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 from from here's your. It's like, I guess in in modern American culture, it'd be like digging up a grave, burning the body, and then mixing the ash into paint. <laughs> Then some people oh, are like, yeah, well, core idea cremated, so just right. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that that brings up the the weird practices that we have in America, where we have like uh, the you could get turned into ash and then compressed into a diamond, like um, yeah, okay, weird burial practices. Huh. Uh, but anyways, this that's kind of the idea. They they would use the whitewash. It's just this. It's kind of a plaster, like a paint, I guess, and and it. They use it to make things very white to make it cleaner because uh, they didn't have access to things like drywall and uh, uh, wallpaper. So sure. that's, that was a much later in- invention. So Kiriath is, is referring to a location in Moab, and scholars aren't exactly sure where exactly this is. Uh, so it's just referring to an area in Moab when it's talking about Kiriath. Carrying on, as it switches to talking about Judah, we can see that Amos is going from from talking about enemy nations or allied nations or nearby nations, where they're talking about how these nations did terrible things to other nations around them, more specifically Israel and Judah. But as we see him shift focus to his people, we see that it's less about what they did as a nation to other nations. And it's more about what they did against God because they are God's people. They have God's law. They're supposed to follow God's law. So now Amos is turning from crimes against humanity to crimes against God. When he's talking about the people of Israel and Judah. Yeah. I've always seen like when we see that in the ancient world, uh, like philosophically speaking, uh, you could adapt the idea that these generations are so much closer to our origins in Adam and Eve and the initial creation mm-hmm. that the rules are going to be a little bit more strict because the descending, you know, if God is omnipotent and he's all knowing at the same time, you know, he knows how their sins are going to affect the future generations as time flows. So when he sees them imminently turning into these horrible things and destroying each other and sinning against their brothers and sisters, he sees how that's going to work out for us even thousands of years later. And that's why we see a little bit more of the judgment, the damnation. It'd be like, and not to dive into like any family structure, but it'd be almost like, you know, okay, my older brother had to go through it first and, or like, well, we had the bad kid in the family and then I learned from those mistakes and then I'm passed down generations. It's kind of like hand-me-downs. Like if, if your original ancestors were to meet you today, would they judge you or would they be praising you more so than the ones that could have potentially affected your life way back when. So, I mean, that's philosophically, that's some adaptation we have because a lot of the universe is imminent. We talk about that on Revelation On Demand is the book of Revelation is imminent. So nothing is set in stone, dead set. You know, you're always going to have choices in life. You're going to have these things that can happen, that there's freedom of will that God bestows on us. 
But at the same time, if there's a format, a template mm-hmm. where God's plan is going to match up more so with what is intended, you know, he's going to see how you deviate from that and how it hurts yourself, ultimately hurting other people or uh, vice versa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's going to not going to be a good thing. So you're going to receive some judgment, some parenting from the all father or from God himself. And, you know, he's going to might, he might have to put his foot down and be like, y'all are really not doing this right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he, he is referencing there in the end, he's pointing towards Jeremiah and, uh, Isaiah, where it starts to talk about that final judgment. So as as Chris was talking about how there's concurrent judgment, where you know we pay for the consequ- we pay the consequences of our sin right now, and then there's also talking about the ultimate conclusion, which is a, a lot of what Amos is talking about. It's not just oh, this is going to happen soon because you're not following God's ways. This is. Uh, this is the final payment you are going to be making because you're not following God's ways. And in the places in Isaiah and Jeremiah he's referencing, we're talking about how there were going to be people in Israel, the people who were chosen, who would refuse to see the error in their ways. Kind of a lot like the the um, Sadducees and Pharisees of the time when Jesus came to be to walk among us. They they just would not see how they were wrong. And we can see that that ultimate condemnation comes at the final judgment. Is there anything else you wanted to add or shall we move on to the next section? No, I mean, uh, as far as like a closed loop system, if we're supposed to explain an everlasting universe and an ever powerful God who ultimately knows what's going to happen before it even happens and he could see the result of anything and everything we got to be able to see it in our human minds and our human spirits which are not limited but we have to be able to be knowledgeable on it or at least draw an idea from it for us to understand it i feel like i like as far as that goes there's stuff going on as you do it there's ultimately going to be an ending to it that's the reality we all are born who are here that we could talk to right now. We all end up leaving at some point. And that is imminent. That is permanent. That's what happens. You know, it's a closed loop system. Like I said, I think that that ties it in a little better to make it more understandable. So I don't mind uh, reading on right. into uh, do you want me to read six. or do you, do you want to read? Oh, I'm all, I'm all for reading. I can read for you if your voice is. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I'm good. My voice is all good today, I promise. (laughs) All right. Verse 6, starting at verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them. Though they were tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks, I destroyed their fruit 
above and the roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years into the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. Huh. Oh. So here we see Amos is finally getting around to Israel and, and telling them what he's really wanted to tell them. Uh, so uh, we see that this section is focusing on social injustice and the exploitation of the poor and needy. And we see him first say that basically right at the beginning. And then he gives us a little more description of what's actually happening. And then that last little section, we see how, you know, you guys are acting like this, but this is what God had done for you. So it's kind of one of those things where he's like, you guys are really, you know, kind of taking God's name for vain. Yeah. You're bratty. You know, you, you were given this land. You were, you were given the, the right over this land and look what you've done. You know, like, like you're, you're not acting the way you're supposed to. So ultimately, Israel's decision to turn from God would end in their military defeat. And at the time of Amos, we're, he's, we're, we're looking at a more specific time in history, but we see this again and again throughout the Bible, where Israel finds God, follows God, everything goes good. And then at some point, they forget that they're following God, and they fall into this, this you know, sinful ways and, and doing and worshiping wrong gods and stuff like that. And then God brings down some consequences on that. And then that usually ends up being the catalyst, the, the pressure that brings Israel back around to, oh, this is our God. We need to follow this God. We need to do what this God says. So we, we see this cycle, and it's, it's kind of interesting that we ourselves can find us ourselves going through a similar cycle where we feel really close to God and we're following God and we're reading the book every day and, you know, we're doing all the right things. And then we can go through a season where we kind of forget what we're doing. We maybe set up some false idols and then, Oh gosh, we, we hit some consequences from, from whatever the sin was. And then we go, Oh, then we come, completely come back around and say, Oh, we need to follow God. We need to continue doing what we're doing. We get back into that season. So we can see this, this play out on a national scale or on an individual scale in our own lives. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. So we see them (laughs) false idols, replacing things in your life that you know are good and putting in something of your desires that you know are not going to work out or are bad and then it ends up misleading you into these greater ideas. Now the influence of sin can definitely do that too and misguide all, especially those in youth but ultimately everyone has a greater idea at some point to know I would argue everyone at some point has a greater idea to know when you do something whether it's going to be bad or good, or whether the intentions are bad or good. Everyone knows how to draw the line of morality, even if you lost your mind to a certain point. There's a little click there, I think, at some point, (laughs) not speaking from experience here, uh, where you go, oh, okay, yeah, morally speaking, even if I can't pronounce that, uh, I don't think this is a good idea, or I know I was doing wrong. It's just a mission of guilt versus following the way that you should be doing something and that guilt doesn't hit. It's like a basic concept that we as humans deviate from because we want to explore new ideas and that can be a dangerous field when we become obsessed with it and we let that replace our key essential morals or our key essential ideas throughout our lives that we know are better. If we know better, why are we doing against it? <laughs> 
You should be using your experience to help protect you, not necessarily saying that no one ever needs to take a risk. No one ever needs to find out what the other stuff is, but you got to bring in all of your arsenal of everything you've learned so far or everything that you have morally to back you up. You know, check yourself. I'm going to quote a rapper here. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Really bring in what you got. Very good. Very good. Get that, that 90s reference in. <clears throat> Anyways, so we're, he, he started going into more detail as he was talking through that. Now, slavery was a big thing back in these times, but Israel had rules about slavery. And, and slavery that Israel was supposed to practice was more of an indentured servitude where this person owes you money for whatever reason. So you are giving them the opportunity to work that debt off. Now, what Israel ended up starting to do was more what the the histor- the um, what what the abuse of slavery becomes, where they weren't letting people just pay off their debts; they were owning people. They were they were keeping people down in slavery, and in these were lifetime terms. They were not just these these short six year periods normally for people to work off a debt that they owe. So we see sure. we see that is one way that Israel was not following the rules. Now this next one is a little harder to talk about, but the the sexual relations to the same girl, it could refer to uh, prostitution, which again would be against the rules of Israel, or it could be even talking about incest, which again is against the rules of Israel. There are specific laws in Deuteronomy, Leviticus that specifically speak against these practices, selling the body for sex, or, or incest for that matter. So uh, we can see again, here's another law that Israel is disrespecting. Now, all this has to do with the fact that Israel is not acting as holy as they should be. God set these laws up. If you study Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God gave Israel these laws to set them aside from the other nations around them. When they start doing these things, such as, you know, abusing the poor and needy in, in these ways, or abusing each other in these ways, they are acting much like the other nations around them that didn't have the same moral code that Israel is supposed to have. So it's a lot like they were hypocrites, basically, you know, they say they serve this God, but they won't follow his rules. So how does that make them any different than the people around them? And we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be holy, which means set aside. So, this this is just them not being holy, and this is what God and Amos are talking about. They are reflecting poorly upon God because they claim to be God's people, but they're not acting like God's people. So their actions are speaking contrary to their words. Yeah, I mean, if let's say this entire region, this entire area of the world at its time were all college students, if every nation was embodied as a singular person and they're all college students, it's going to be that classic excuse. Um, <laughs> it's going to be that classic excuse of, well, everyone else is doing it or, yeah, but rules are meant to be broken. It's like, no. These rules are in place because someone who knew darn well better than you do and you probably will ever do set them in place. And that's because God put them in there. And it's like, it's simple. You want to, you want to desecrate, you want to degrade yourself. Do you want to fall short of the mark for the rest? You know, do you want to end up causing a fatal incident where you collapse as a person? 
Or are you going to set yourself aside as a leader? Are you going to set yourself aside as a behaving person and know what it means to be logical? And in this case, that logic would be just following the spiritual law, following God's law. He sets them out because it makes sense. You know, why do we always feel bad when we break any of God's law? Because it's not natural and it's not healthy for you. It is natural in a way. Sin is natural in a way. It's, a, it's all part of us as a, as people because we live in a fallen world. But there's got to be a point where you look at it and be like, you know what? <laughs> I am so much more relieved now that I separated myself from that. Or that I never did it in the first place. Sure, you might be curious of what it's like, but, you know, even taking that first step could lead a long journey into a place you're trapped in if you don't recollect yourself and if you didn't decide to even think of what God's law was in the first place. That's a big struggle for a lot of people. And that's part of this world is it's so taxing. You could end up in servitude for something that you didn't even know, you know, or an entity that you didn't even know. I'm going to argue, like we talk about Moloch, we talked about these big spiritual evil influences in the world that are so much more powerful than we conceptualize if we choose to live our life in sin. With God's backing and the Lord's backing, you're completely fine. Just You don't even have to separate yourself from it. If you want to know what it is, confront it, but confront it from God's side, not from your own side, because Lord knows, getting caught between that sandwich is not going to be a healthy one. <laughs> Quite right. So, <clears throat> continuing on, talking about uh, clothing taken in pledge. I mean, this is just briefly mentioned in there. This is yet another law that was given in Exodus where it says, uh, Exodus 22, 26, and 27, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you return it to him before the sun sets. For that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall come about when he cries out for me, I will hear him for I'm gracious. So that is literally people, the very poor could give whatever articles of clothing they actually had as a pledge or as, you know, a collateral or, or, I'm trying to think of the word we have for today, but anyways, <laughs> it was made so that, uh, yeah, it was a loan. Well, was a loan was given, but it was a collateral for the loan. Like, if you don't pay back this loan, then I get to keep this. Now, uh, the poor yes. have nothing else, so if you keep their their cloak all night, then they have nothing to help keep the the elements off of them. Which anyone who does survival stuff knows that exposure can be the quickest way to die in in surviving outside so if you don't give him back his cloak at night he could very well die and then he's never going to repay you anyways but a letter was found in an ancient judea fortress uh that attests to a laborer filing a complaint on someone doing this very thing where he he kept his his cloth or his clothing as that collateral and never gave it back at night now the the common practice was you know in the morning they come and give you back their clothing as that, that collateral. And then they go work. And at some point, hopefully they can pay you back the money that they borrowed to, uh, to get their clothing back. So 
or work to a certain extent, but if you have no grace in your heart like the Lord, then you're not going to ever end up letting this person pay back. And that might be where that's involuntary slavery, even though we talk about slaves throughout the Bible and throughout culture as like in modern day culture, as what slavery evolved into is a horrible thing. Even the concept in the first place, when you you replace the word servitude or serving or working with straight up slave, that's not a good thing. Thing. So, I mean, I can see how that that monstrably evolved into that or became that and grew that and how a lot of people misused it, especially those who were in power more so than the people who were in need. And that, you know, that you can get into that all day. But I'll just say, you know, perspectively in ancient Israel, that's what was going on. Yeah, that that very well runs into what what um, it was talking about the unjust slavery uh, earlier in the thing too. And then it also referred to wine offered as payment. So this uh, this was wine that was given as uh, in a very similar manner, where it's like I don't have any money, but here's this wine that was offered as payment, and then of course they're drinking it in the altar, the temple, or whatever the place where you know, God's supposed to be. So they're, they're, you know, further desecrating God's special area by getting drunk on wine that was used to pay off a debt. Like it's, it's, it just doesn't look good for them. Yeah. You borrowed a hundred bucks from a friend that, you know, you shouldn't be hanging out with. And then they come into your parents' house and they're drinking wine and, uh, you know, like doing a bunch of sinful behavior right in front of all your family. And you're like, Oh God, save me. (laughs) I'm 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 kind of just throwing random examples out there. Yeah, I got you. And then the last section it talks about the Amorites, which were a group of Canaanites who lived in the land of Israel. And these are the people that he, like I said in the beginning, these are the people that God, you know, kind of ousted out of the area for the people of Israel. So. He these Canaanites were referred to as giants. Now, how big they were, it's not for sure known how big they were, but they were even a few inches taller when most people were five foot five as an average, it wouldn't take much for them to look like giants in comparison. (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Wait, hold hold up. I'm going to pause on this because you've always been a giant to me. I'm five foot foot seven to five (laughs) foot eight range. And this dude, if you didn't, if you don't know, Justin is that he is like over six feet. Like completely comparatively, <laughs> like I'm I'm this little dude compared to him. I met him when he was a lineman on the football team. <laughs> so you're not a Canaanite. I'm just saying, like perspectively, yeah, it's not going to be that much of a difference. But it would be like you know hanging out with your basketball friends when you're running track, or you know you're lineman friends yeah no I, and, and i'm six foot two man yeah yeah right <laughs> i'm six foot two and you're honestly a little short for uh normal people too but it, it could very well be that these people were just nominally taller than than the israelite people because again average heights were much lower back then i think now the average height's like five nine or it was it was very much uh like five five at the time of israel and the ancient israelites huh so i'd be rolling man everyone would be short shall we 
Yeah, you're you're yeah, exactly. Yeah, your average height for an ancient Israelite. <laughs> I don't know if I can fit through the door, man. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So this is gonna be the last section we read we'll do the for the last day. Section here. Yes, and then of course we do the annotations and, and uh the, the technical information and all that good knowledgeable stuff that we all are definitely 100% yeah. on the train with, even when things are complicated and technical and we're using a bunch of different terms. Just chill with us for a minute. We're going to make it make sense. <laughs> 44 episodes in, I have yeah. to remind people of this, and uh, I just feel like that because, you know, y'all are a family too. We're all in the kingdom of God. Even those who don't try to associate yourself with us, you know what? We're all fam. No worries. <laughs> we're going to start at verse 11 now. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right. This is going to start in a quote. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel? Declares the Lord. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The the fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. Oh boy. We We got fire and brimstone coming down here, so... Hey, proportionately in a much more brutal world, like, and you had to set yourself aside as a leader, maybe not even as a warrior, but an actual gallant Mm -hmm. king when you had to roll with an iron fist. If there was no other way to get through to people and we had to praise and worship with an iron fist, maybe that would be proportionately to back then. Nowadays, we could use words, Mm -hmm. but people acted before they spoke with violence more often than they they spoke and tried to reach a reasonable agreement than violence, like, you know, how it is today. But... So we see that uh, God starts talking about this group called the Nazarites, which I don't think we've ever really gone over the Nazarites before. So here we're going to do a little bit of a breakdown. The Nazarites were this group of people in God's people who were kind of set aside to be be more special, more holy, more – they had stricter rules. So – uh, we see in scripture, there's two permanent Canaan or Nazarites, excuse me, uh, Sam, Samuel and Samson, which I believe one of those is a king and one of those is a judge. <clears throat> and uh, these, these guys would permanently adhere to these more strict rules that set them even further aside from the people of God. Uh, so normally the service as a Nazarite would be for a period, it'd be for a time, it'd be for a season, uh, however long it, it would end up, God would call you to that. And um, so these people were like no alcohol, no fem- fermented beverages. They would not let those sort of uh, uh, things impair their, their judgment. So I'm sure. guessing this would also apply to, you know, kind of psychoactives and other drugs. They also did not shave or their head or cut their hair. So they were very, very hairy people. I believe it was uh, Samson was the story of the, the guy who, when his hair was cut, he lost his strength. Yes. And uh, that, that was kind of part of that where 
he was his vow as a Nazarite was not to shave or cut his hair. So as long as he was blessed and following that, he was he was had all that great strength. And then uh, uh, as soon as his lovely lady friend cut his hair, he lost all that strength. But he oh, okay, so, yeah, that's right. They were not allowed any contact. <laughs> Yeah, you remember that story? Anyways, yeah. uh, and then he was they were not allowed any contact with the dead, which was just a, a typical uh, cleanliness law that was passed in, I think it was Deuteronomy, where if you touch a dead body, you were unclean for seven days or something, and you had to go wash in a spring and, and do the purification rituals again. And while we today can see that as, you know, it could be a cleanliness thing, it also was that the dead was not death was not a part of God that was holy. So, um, you know, death was something that entered in when the first sin came into the world. Now, I don't know if death, uh, as a concept enter in, or, you know, there was no death before that, that that's something to debate. Uh, well, I mean, you could tie those two together, uh, Justin. Like, I was thinking, like, with mm-hmm. death back then, if you're talking about disease at the same time for cleanliness, and then you're also talking about curses yeah. and everything that it literally impacted the world mm-hmm. to what it is today, a lot of people, that's going to create a lot of fear, mm-hmm. but it literally carries out itself so yeah. much worse than it does nowadays. So if someone died... How do we remove him without personal protective equipment? Just kidding. But how do we remove him or her mm. and not get that disease to become widespread? Because you're talking about entire cities, communities, all these stuff that all it would take would be for one person body. And that entire place could be gone if they're there for overnight, because that's how quick things would prolificate and expand and spread. So I mean, just take like the uh, bubonic yeah, plague, I'm for example. This is a lot where the uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm thinking this is a lot where uh, undertakers came in. This would probably be the people who regularly, you know, a lot like what we do today. We have you know uh, people from the morgue who come in and and they handle the dead bodies most more often than not. I mean, because there was a time before and before cities were big thing. You would you would have to take care of your own dead, you know, the family. You'd have to go out back and, and bury the dead on your property. Like, but as cities rose up, they grows this need for a group of people who were specifically designed to handle the dead and take care of all the preparation and all that sort of thing. That depending on what culture you're in, you know, we we even have them today. We have undertakers and in, in, um, crematoriums and, and funeral homes. That's what I'm thinking, the funeral homes today. So I'm guessing this is where the, those that kind of group of people came up was from this need for everyone else to try and remain as holy as possible, where uh, there was this one person or group of people who were selected to not be uh, as holy, I guess, but, you know, just to, to serve that needed role. And again, that helps with diseases and stuff like that and keeps stuff from spreading. So, yeah. And like, literally like, like we were just talking about too, is like, we all curse stuff aside. Like these people witness the power of God and the power of sin in a way that we can't even imagine. We, as a people today experience the power of sin 
and the power of God in ways that they can't even imagine. But it's all it's just all part of cultural recognition. And that's going to be a lot of contrast since this is so far back from us where every society was led by a religion, more so uh, a religion or literally what is Christianity than it is today. So, like, because we don't build all of our structure based off of morality that we find from sources in the Bible, which is much smarter than the average person. Uh, back then, if they had something like the Bible, then, you know, or even when the Torah was to be, you know, <laughs> it structured their societies, it structured everything that their leadership was, whether you talk about any of these ancient cultures. So, it's just like our media today, how that structures how we are, because it's the main source of information and it catches everyone up to speed that knows how to, but it also tends to dictate how things go for us. So, and it's just, you know, it's a day to day basis, but it's just interesting how that goes. I'm not comparing, I'm not trying to get political about that, but, you know, <laughs> comparatively, the Bible set the standard for our country. The Bible set the standard for a lot of people, and it does to this day. And, you know, back then, when you get these societies that are dissolving, even though they've witnessed the, with their own two eyes the power of God in ways that we can't imagine, they still didn't decide to structure themselves based off of that because they were denying themselves. And I feel like we get a lot of that denial all throughout our human history and our human behavior that there's just some things that you need to accept for yourself good or bad as consequences as results as the end of those systems happen you need to be able to look at it or even if it's hard to witness like think about it at some point to close the chapter on that because otherwise you end up stuck in a page or on a specific phrase word uh imagery that is going to keep you in one place and that's, you know, that's not a, just a matter of strength, but that's also part of spiritual everlasting life is even things that I'm not saying like it's going to be easy for anyone to do that. I'm saying like, you know, there's going to be a point where everlasting life happens. We live for all eternity either way. And, it, it, you know, all the catacombs and stuff aside or bone boxes and paints, um, that we're we're gonna face it at some point, so it's it's healthy. It's a good idea, and the Lord encourages it. Uh, these prophets encourage it all throughout the Bible, and you see respectable figures, including Jesus, look at one thing to the next, even if he has to question it, and then go through with what do you have to do, and that's move on, tackle it, whatever you got to do to pull this bad stuff from point A. To point B. And sometimes we tend to further get ourselves in the bad stuff because it feels rewarding where we all should know darn well better that if we just started with the good stuff, took a little bit of patience or took the best route possible, and that was avoiding too much risk, too much evil, and you get better rewards. You know, it's all part of what's gracious to you as well as the love from God and the Lord before you. You know, follow the path of love. Don't follow selfish ambitions unless, 
you know, I can't even think of a reason why you need to be selfish. You know what I mean? Some people just are. Some ways we just got to learn past that. And maybe you still sometimes we have to face judgment day before we were like, oh, yeah, I kind of was doing that. So or collectively, because that tends to happen, too. If all these nations were college students and they're all committing to a party that they shouldn't be throwing, what's going on? But <laughs> I'll just end with that. All right, that was great. <laughs> all, all from the the uh, Nazarites. So we see that hi. these people were chosen to be. Yeah, no, I've got I've got a co-host here now. This is Savannah. Uh, she's she's. Uh, yeah, say hi, Savannah. No, okay. Anyways, uh, we see that these people, much like the prophets, were God's people carried out or chosen to carry out holy duties and we see that Israel is causing them to stumble and causing them to to do these things that they're not supposed to do as we've talked you know in ad ad eternum over this this episode is these people were <clears throat> partaking in in things they're not supposed to and and they were corrupted by the people of Israel just as now they shouldn't have allowed themselves to become corrupted, but uh, it is going to fall on Israel's head. And in about 722 BC, which was a little bit after Amos's time, they would see a military defeat and the Assyria empire would take over. So there you go. And then right there at the end, again, it was making a reference towards the ends of days judgment, which we've been over before. And we talk about a lot on this podcast, how, uh, you know, at the end of days, we will face judgment for the things we do. And uh, Amos was just trying to point out, you know, these are the things you guys are going to face judgment for. So uh, you got anything else to add on that? Should we wrap all this up? But I think it all wraps up to a question of leadership. If we're getting specific on how Israel was at this time and place, then yes. Uh, prophets are going to go to the source. Our validated prophets all throughout the Bible are going to, and especially Amos, you know, being the, uh, I'm going to make another rap reference, being the OG, the original guy <laughs> that, you know, is going to be pointing out this stuff is is it's a question of leadership it's not just hierarchy it's literally like i trusted you to you know israel as an individual i trusted you to lead these other students to lead these other people into a better place and not throw a party where you guys were doing this but maybe a study party and y'all behaved and y'all had fun anyway so i don't know <laughs> it is a question of leadership it's a question of a co collectively what is going on and you can apply this as an individual as a nation as in politics in personal levels in spiritual levels you know it all amounts to one thing and that is the way you follow god or not <laughs> other than that i'm peacing out thanks justin as usual uh, why don't we wrap this up? Alrighty. Thank you for listening to Revelation On Demand Podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch your podcast from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. It's a completely private venture and receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact us at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless and see you next time.